Oh yeah. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown show radio to open the heart, heal the soul and <clears throat> awaken the consciousness. Good morning, Benny. Good morning. <coughs> I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this sounded like a, 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 an odd kind of cough. It almost sounded like you were ready for like to say a joke or a punchline or something. <clears throat> I was debating it. Oh, oh really? I, I may have told you that I had a, a listener one time tell me that she loves my show, but I'm just a little energetic for, you know, eight in the morning on the Bummer. Pacific Coast. <laughs> I get the same thing at four o'clock in the morning when I'm getting my coffee and they're like, do you not need that? I think that's probably a good thing, but I still do. Yeah, exactly. I'm like you. We're morning people. We enjoy We're, it. I like to get up. Yeah. And I love the sunrise and mm -hmm. the freshness of the early morning and of course, today we're going to talk about mountaineering and mountains and nature, and I just love that. You know, you do have to get up early to enjoy that. You do. Mm -hmm. it's, it's part of the, it's part of the gig. It's part of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the world. Part of life. <laughs> but you know, the best part about these shows is mm -hmm. that we're recorded and archived, yep. and you can listen to us when you want to. So you know. Yep. And also check out, we are streaming live on YouTube if you guys want to check that out. It's 1150 KKNW, and then uh, we're all there, and then you can smile and wave to everybody like I'm doing right now. Thanks, and mm -hmm. I'm only taking a moment to do this because I've had several people say, Loretta, where can we find your show? And I'm like, well, the KKNW website, mm -hmm. right, has got everything archived. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the the YouTube, yes. right? The, KKNW the YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. The YouTube and um, also, these shows are on all kinds of podcasts, mm -hmm. Podcast One, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Somebody even said they found it on Audible the other day. So um, who knows, right? And I have hundreds of shows, you know, because... You have thousands of shows, don't you? I probably do you, have You're in the thousands for sure. I think we're I'm, past 100. I think we are. I've been around for just a couple of years. And it's just interesting a couple. because... <laughs> yeah, just a couple. Just a few. And, and I always have to thank Benny because Benny, I just think you're the best. Oh well, and thank, thank you. you for being there for sure. me. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be along for the ride. Thank you. Or at the top yeah. of the mountain. Oh, hey. <gasps> top so, of the mountain. Top of the mountain. I do need to go climbing with you one time though. That was, should be fun. I mean, we've done a couple. Uh, you did a couple shows via remote, so to speak, and uh, those seemed like some pretty good, um, I guess, areas to uh, mountaineer or climb. And you can actually yeah. go back and find those shows, too. That's exactly right. And then uh, also Egypt, which um, yes. I did some shows about Egypt, too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, anyway, uh, we're having fun. I'm I'm getting antsy. We've been all, you know, <laughs> pandemic for a year and I'm ready to get out and go do something. Right. right? And uh, I do think nature is a great healer. And uh, even if all you're doing is taking a walk, please do it. So. Uh, anyway, I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area. For the last 26, 27 years, we are still around. I've been doing lots of stuff through Zoom, uh, but do check everything out at the scheduler, scheduler, can't say that, but you can schedule everything on the schedule, scheduler, <laughs> I think I'll give it up, <laughs> schedule.reikioasis.com. I do a Sunday meditation every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And um, if you can't be with us at 11 a.m., sign up anyway. I'll send you a recording of the meditation. Uh, I just think it's a really great way to kind of like go and stop, you know, take a moment. <sighs> How am I feeling? What's going on? And uh, let me just really enjoy it. So anyway, you can tune into that. 
And then my monthly class for women, the Temple of the Divine Feminine, it will be Saturday, May 22nd. That is a Zoom class. So you can join us from anywhere. So just check it out. Um, and a very brief check-in with astrology, because I, I want to spend a lot of time with my guest today who just feels like he's already in my heart. And we climb some of the same mountains at different times, but you know, the mountain has memories and it does call you. So uh, we'll get into that. But today, May 13th is kind of a big day. J Jupiter enters Pisces. People say, Loretta, what, that, what does that mean? And uh, Jupiter in Pisces, it, it's its its home. So it loves it there. And it's going to stay there until July 28th. So in the next two and a half months, we're going to get a little taste of what this means because then Jupiter will exit uh, Pisces and then go back into Pisces at the end of December. And it will be there until May of 2022. And then it backs back out and goes back in from October to December of 2022. And this is a very lucky alignment is what they say. But I, I'm kind of this girl. Luck is really great. But you got to, you know, roll the dice and throw yourself out there if you're really going to benefit from the luck. Uh, I hate to tell you this, but no one's going to do it for you. <laughs> like when I was climbing Kalish and I thought, what am I doing here? I'm not a mountaineer. No, it's like I'm at the, ho the home of the gods, the abode of the gods. Could you guys just help me? And I've literally heard, I swear to God, I heard someone say, we're here. We're holding the space, but you have to keep walking. <laughs> so no helicopter for you, but that beautiful hope and that, that luck and that blessedness can be with you anytime. So like I say, many people look forward to Jupiter in Pisces because it is a very, very auspicious place, placing of the planets. Uh, Jupiter feels at home and can be as wise, as spiritual and as big picture as he wants. The last few years, Jupiter's been hanging out with Pluto and Saturn. They don't really get along that good, and it's been really hard. But with Ju Jupiter moving back home today, mm -hmm, our sense of faith and optimism will finally be restored. Jupiter is also joined by Neptune in Pisces. Both of these planets are rulers of Pisces. When Jupiter, with its larger-than-life optimism and sense of expansion, and Neptune, with its mystical vision, are in the same sign. We will start to see magic everywhere. So it's going to bring to the forefront those things that maybe you've been wanting to do. Maybe you've needed to refresh your dream. Maybe you've needed to take a deep breath and say, you know what? I'm going to capture a vision. I'm going to make a trajectory. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to go on a trek. I'm going to go toward a pointy mountain that I don't know the name of. And you know what? It will lead you forward and you never know what will happen. And obviously I'm segueing into my guest. I'm very excited to have on my guest today, somebody who definitely chose a trajectory, headed towards it, only to discover that synchronicity and destiny may simply lead us to karma. Uh-oh. Mike Shaw. Mountaineer and entrepreneur is the author of A Story of Karma, Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. In 2012, Mike and his wife Chantal, Chantal undertook an expedition deep in the Himalaya of northern Nepal into a remote valley 
that had been closed off to outsiders for decades. What unfolded in the mountains forced him to question his values, his own identity, and completely changed the tra trajectory of his life and possibly the meaning. Welcome to the show, Mike. It's really great to have you here. Thank you, Loretta. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited. I was telling uh, uh, Mike before the show that, um, you know, I climbed the Annapurna circuit 20 years ago. I can't believe it was that long. In fact, when I was thinking about it, I went, oh, it's just 10 years ago. And I went, no, it's 20, right? So I celebrated one of my birthdays that will go nameless at Kathmandu. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did some divey little place. And uh, so I was really thrilled to have you on the show. But anyway, um, I, I want to kind of jump right in because mm -hmm. you are a, a mountaineer and an entrepreneur and a spiritual person. You really mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get into mountaineering? Well, <laughs> no, I mean, that's a great, um, great way to start. Actually, you know, it's interesting because I had always been around the mountains uh, for as long as I can remember. We grew up on the on the West Coast here, of course, surrounded by mountains. But my uh, my father, he he's an avid outdoors person and he used to take my sister and I camping uh, in one of those uh, camper vans, you know, the, with the popping pop tops. <laughs> and so we'd go around the, you know, the States and the, to the Rockies, Yosemite, all these different places. And, um, and so I'd, I'd kind of constantly have these mountains around me, these mountain vistas. And, and I didn't get into climbing when I was younger, but, um, but I'd kind of be around that terrain. So it was just, it almost became a part of me. Um, and then uh, I remember uh, when I was, 17 I think yeah 17 I went out with this one uh, this one gentleman he was a very experienced mountaineer and he uh, we were on a hike and he said Mike you know I, I want to take you up a mountain <laughs> and I thought well okay I, I have no idea what that means but um, you, know, you, know, like, you, were, you were just a, a kid I was just a kid I, I, didn't, I didn't know right <laughs> so I thought but you know as a 17 year old teenager right like let's, let's go for it right um, and so he lent me his ice axe and his crampons, his harness, and off we went, um, you know, four o'clock in the morning, we went up this, uh, this mountain and it was pretty technical climb. And, and I remember we, we were kind of getting, getting towards the top of the, the peak there. And, and it was this sort of icy snow slope that, uh, like a hard pack thing. We were kicking our way up and, uh, you know, I remember him looking down from above. He said, you know, just kick in with your crampons, you know, plunge in with your ice axe. And, and you know, and if you fall, you know, dig in with the pointy end of your ice axe. <laughs> okay, okay, I got this. <laughs> so, uh, so just, you know, kicking, kicking, plunging, kicking, kicking, plunging. And um, I remember uh, at one point I, I was so exhausted. I, I'd never done anything like that before in my life. And all I could think about was just, you know, don't fall. Um, and, but I remember one point I just stopped and I looked over my, my shoulder and on the horizon, the sun was just rising at that point on the horizon were all these distant peaks, um, you know, peaks that I had no idea even existed. And they were kind of illuminated in this kind of orangey purplish hue from the sun coming up. And I thought in that moment, I thought, you know, there is this whole world up here that is totally unknown to the rest of us and only accessible by our will to climb. And that for me was just, uh, was just it. I, in that moment, I thought, 
you know, mountaineering the mountains, being up here in this in this little new world, this whole new world up here. Um, this is this is it for me. And I just kind of dove into it with intensity and and never looked back. You know, I'm I love your story. It's um trial by fire. Right? <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> oh, there's cold. Don't worry about it. Just keep walking. Right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you gotta dive in. <laughs> but I was I was remembering back, you know, I really am not a, a mountaineer. I'm not trained in that. I just love the outdoors and did a lot of hiking and when I went on my trip um, with a beautiful spiritual group of people to Annapurna, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I'll be honest with you. Mm. And I thought, oh, this will be lovely and spiritual. And, you know, I'm in Nepal and I'll meditate while I'm walking. No, it was just <laughs> like what you're saying. It's like, step, step, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> step, step, <laughs> breathe. Oh, right? that high altitude will get to you, right? <laughs> exactly. So I so relate to that. I love that story. Yeah, just, just you know, yeah, and if you fall, just, just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just grab it with your pickaxe. Yeah, it's like, well, what happens if that it. doesn't work? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Make a nice yell and just keep yelling. You know, I don't yeah. know, but <laughs> that's, that's so lovely. And I also have a, a quote from your book because I, um, like I say, I love the outdoors. Any mm. Anything in nature to me is, uh, that is our church. And when I read this in your book, I just have to read it to the audience. You quote your friend Joe in the book, who I think you just mentioned, where he says, it's better to be in the mountains thinking about God than to be in church thinking about the mountains. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, one time, yeah, Joe, he said that to me. And um, we spent a lot of time, him and I, in the mountains and in nature. And, and you know, you'd be out there and... Um, just having these very divine moments it could be just a just the way the light shines on a uh you know on, on a peak or or on a like a little stream or something or just being in you know immersed in that nature and and it was kind of a reminder that um that we are nature right so being out there and with those elements the heightened sensitivities kind of allows us to connect with who we are at the very core right because if nature is who we are well, that immerses us directly. It's almost like a direct uh, conduit uh, back to our, our true self. Yeah, I love what you're saying. Um, when I was coming down from Annapurna, um, coming down right above the base camp, my Sherpa had me, um, I ended up with a personal Sherpa because I'm not a trained mountaineer. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but he showed me how to how to ski on my boots down the mm. glacier and it was absolutely blue sky beautiful weather uh so she wanted us to come obviously she the mountain and um uh i i had this sense like you said of just so much expansion and this this connectedness to all that is and you know i was I was gone on that trip for about three and a half weeks, right? Almost a month. And, and I remember landing in the SeaTac airport. And when I came out, I was compressed by the buildings. Right. Like yeah. I, could, I was like so aware of the buildings and I thought, wow, this has really altered me. So I just wanted to bring into the show this beautiful love of the mountains and, and really what their benefit is to us. Mm -hmm. But that other world up there. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, there's yeah. a lot we can learn from them. So you were pulled by a particular 
pointy mountain. Do you want to tell us how that began and what happened? Yeah, well, this this pointy mountain. So this was in in Nepal in the Himalaya, and um, and this is back in 2011. And I had well, I had wanted to go to Nepal for you know since I was a kid, right? I remember looking at the pictures. Actually, my sister gave me this book once. It's a Lonely Planet book called um, Trekking in the in the Nepal Himalaya. And I remember getting this book uh, for Christmas one year, just kind of was tearing through the pages faster than I can could even read anything. And just I remember like looking at the pictures of the people and the mountains, the culture. I mean, it was just uh, almost like an overload. Um, and I, I all I could think about was just to run out of the house. Uh, I mean, I was still in my pajamas, but like just to run out of the house with that lonely planet book and just to head, head to Nepal at once. And, <laughs> And uh, I, I, but it wasn't until my early. <laughs> Mike, Mike, I see why you climb mountains. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> when I get onto something, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's clear. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, but it wasn't until my early 30s that I finally made it there. And, and part of the reason was, um, I couldn't decide, you know, what I wanted to do, right? And, and, and you know, part of it was my, I didn't have the money when I was younger and, and I couldn't take a big chunk of time off, you know, when I was working on my career and things like that. But, um, but also I was, I was kind of convinced that I wanted to go somewhere sort of off the beaten path, right? And, uh, and I didn't know where that was. And, and as, you know, circumstances had it, we ended up, my wife Chantal and I, we ended up sitting down with this one um, gentleman one day in a restaurant and he, his name is Mick. And he said, you know, Mike, I, I got to tell you about this place. I got to tell you about the Lost Valley of Narfu. And um, it was in that moment that I just, I, I thought, wow, okay, what is this? There was something familiar, you know, energetically familiar about it, right? Yeah. And he started showing me um, kind of the pictures and of the people and this and that. And I thought, wow, this is the place. This is the place that I've been dreaming about. And um, it was a Mick had been trekking in the Himalaya for over 20 years into some of the most obscure places. And that valley had just been opened up um, a few years prior to that. And, and before that, it had been closed off to the outside world for hundreds of years. Right. So hundreds of years, it, it didn't have sort of a, uh, you know, kind of a connection or, or an influence from the outside world. So I thought, wow, I mean, this is this is amazing. So that's kind of um you know, that's what tipped the scale. And, and then I was, as I was looking through the pictures, I saw one in one of his pictures, this picture of a, of this pyramid looking mountain, it was almost like a white pyramid coming out of the earth. And as a mountaineering fanatic, and as somebody who's dreamed to climb in the Himalaya since I was a teenager, I thought, you know, this, this, that was just it for me, right? Um, And so Chantal and I, we kind of looked at each other, we thought this is a decision in itself. And, and, um, and yeah, so we, a couple things came together. One was we, we put a little, te- we decided to put a little team together because we understood from Mick that the Valley was going to experience some unprecedented change now that it had been open. Um, so we thought, well, let's bring a little team of artists. We, we, you know, we'll have a photographer, a nature artist, a musician, and, uh, and we'll just sort of observe and learn from the people through these different artistic lenses, capture a moment in time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then I had this second sort of inconspicuous goal, though, to um, to climb that mountain. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of the intention that, that we went in there with. Because you had it. 
in your teeth like a tiger with a har. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, climb yeah. that mountain, okay? I yeah, well, it. yeah, it was, and it was very. Um, I mean, it, I guess it kind of. Uh, yeah, it was very sort of mind driven, right? Whereas, you know, that what was calling me there was coming more from, I guess you could say more from the heart um, yeah. and more of a deeper sort of soul feeling. Um, but then, you know, the the mountain was like, okay, I've got to go, you know, again, ego, I got to go climb this, I got to find this mountain and climb it, right? So it was kind of this, um, this dual pull. And, 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 they kind of came head to head, you know, when I was in the Valley, we, I don't know if we can talk about it, but, um, but yeah, these two sort of forces, you know, goal versus, um, um, you know, intention kind of came head to head uh, deep in the mountains. I, I love that conversation because I talk to people about all the time, right? Mm. Yeah. The ego, the goal, the intention. Yeah. They kind of came together. I can't wait to, find out how that happened (laughs) as our interview proceeds i know more will come out you know i i love this thing the lost valley right Mm -hmm. like that alone and i think you even mentioned it in your book but that alone would have grabbed me lost valley right yeah what lost valley yeah what what is that (laughs) (laughs) right is it shambhala what is that right you know what what is that yeah um having been in that area of the world, I just want the listeners to really recognize and many people listening may have trekked in, in the Himalayan mountains, but it is rugged mm-hmm. and it is otherworldly. And um, I think it, it, it just by its, its demands upon you physically, spiritually, emotionally, I mean, it really does demand uh, presence. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be present with it. And also because uh, the mother nature, as we say, is ever changing mm-hmm. and her moments come and go like the weather. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. I mean, and these, you know, these are big mountains. I remember the first, I mean, anyone who's seen an 8,000 meter peak will, I think, remember that time, right? Like you mentioned with the Annapurna range there, I, you know, it's funny because as we were coming up to it, I remember there was one point I, I was, I became friends with this one Sherpa guide and named Dawa and, and, uh, and I remember asking him, I said, hey, Dawa, you know, what, what are the names of these mountains? You know, this looks like the Rockies back where I'm from, you know, these, these big mountains here. He's like, these aren't mountains. These are foothills. <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. and then I, yeah, and I remember the moment I saw that 8,000 meter peak. It was almost like this broken up glaciated ridgeline up in the sky and i thought it was a wisp of cloud or something at first and i'm like why is there a part of a mountain way up in the sky like that almost like my mind couldn't couldn't comprehend it so yeah very vertical terrain and and very harsh conditions like you mentioned um very hard to survive in these areas uh they're separated by the you know geographically they're they're totally separated uh from village to village and and yeah the people i mean they're they're contending with um you know, avalanches, mudslides, uh, landslides, you know, just trying to grow things is, is hard out there. Um, so yeah, very, very tough, um, tough life. Right. So you ended up putting together this team Mm -hmm. and, and, and your lovely wife came with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and you went to Nepal. Now, how, how long was it between the time you first saw that picture of that mountain or you got the book about Nepal until you actually went 
Uh, well, years, isn't it? yeah, yeah. I mean, from the time I got that Lonely Planet book for my sister, that was when I was, I think I was 15 or something. So, you know, it was 16 years later <laughs> that it happened. So, yeah, yeah quite, a, quite a little while later. Yeah. And you ended up in um, Nepal, in mm. Kathmandu. And I think in your book, you know, because you talk about walking around Kathmandu and the contrasting experiences that you had just right there, which to me is like an entry point into the meaty part of your story. Right. right. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Kathmandu, I've heard there's similar places like that in India, but it was in Chantal and I, we, we, you know, we've traveled to a few places, but I, nothing kind of prepared us for Kathmandu in that way. It was almost like there was every part of humanity in one place. I mean, first of all, you had the beauty of the, of the people and, and, you know, their clothing, the women in these beautiful, colorful saris and, and, um, <clears throat> you know, these, these arch the architecture of the buildings, the temples, the monasteries, um, the, you know, you'd have people in the streets selling fragrant spices and all the other sort of trinkets that are going on there. And um, so just kind of a, uh, just a whole collection of, of things coming together. And then, and, but then on the flip side, you know, you had the the stark reality of, I mean, Nepal is the third poorest nation in Asia and the most polluted city in the world by air pollution. And so you had, um, you know, that front and center, the the people with leprosy and and, and then the dying right in front of you, um, you know, children with matted hair kind of begging on the streets. Um, I remember when we were at Pashupatinat, um, you know, the Bagmati River kind of coming down and, you uh, and that's that's where people go to die, right? They put the the people on the pyres and they burn the bodies and and then they shovel the bodies or the ashes into the into the Bagmati River and and so you'd have these little girls with their pant legs rolled up, uh, barefooted, wading through the river, <clears throat> um, trying to find any trinket that may have been um, burned with the bodies, and uh, and then you'd have you know some guy defecating up the river and a family picnicking down. So you know, I mean, it was just like almost like an emotional overload like everything light sound color spectrum all across um just coming together in one place yeah yeah i have been over there and in in india and um tibet and in the whole area where uh thank you for sharing that because i really want to bring in these paint a picture for the listeners and also to inspire them to get your book a story of karma right um, and uh, my guest today is Michael Shaw. We're going to take a little station break and don't go away because when we get back, we're going to get into what I call the meaty part of his story and his meeting with karma, which is exciting and wonderful and to the point. So this is Loretta Brown. We're going to take a little station break and we'll be right back. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. We are the physicians, the nurses, the hospital and health system leaders. 
All we ask of you is to take three simple steps proven to stop the spread of COVID. Wear a cloth face mask, maintain social distance, and wash your hands. Scientific evidence must shape our decisions, dictate our actions, and protect our health. We are not powerless. Together, we will defeat COVID. This has been a message from the American Hospital Association, the American Medical Association, and the American Nurses Association. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Woohoo! Betty has always got the best music. Yeah, that's right. Let's go. I'm ready. Right? The mountains are calling. Let's do yeah. it. Anyway, welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my amazing guest, Michael Shaw. His book, A Story of Karma, Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. And we've been talking, but we've barely scratched the surface. So, Mike, I kind of want to get into the trip. So after you guys got to Nepal and you started out, I do, I want to pause for just a moment because in one of your chapters, you talk about the, the journey to Fu and that your wife Chantel was having a very hard time. Mm -hmm. And there came a point where you're in this tent, she's got terrible migraines, which anybody who suffers from migraines is like, I totally get it. Like totally. Right. And the locals came and you ended up singing together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a that was a pretty interesting scene because um, so Chantal has been suffering from debilitating migraine attacks uh, since she was quite young, and and as you said, like anyone who's had a migraine, I've never had a migraine, but I've seen her go through it, and anyone who's had a migraine knows that it's just the most devastating thing, um, particularly when you're out in the middle of the Himalaya and you can't really rest in that way, right? So. So, and Chantal, she's very strong. Like we've climbed some big mountains mm -hmm. together. Um, but when the migraine hits, it just takes her right out, uh, just floors her, right? So, um, so there we were in the middle of this lost valley, just getting into, you know, what I would call the, the, the core of it, um, just sort of on the outskirts, but we're starting to see some of it. And, um, and Chantal's hit with this full-blown migraine attack. And she's debating whether to turn around um, because she just, it's too painful to go any further. And, um, and I was thinking, what does this mean for all of us, right? What does this mean for the journey? And, 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 you know, this is the place that I've dreamed to be in my whole life pretty much. And, you know, I was practically vibrating from the energy of the place. Um, but of course, you know, I'm not, I can't, you know, I don't want to leave Chantal, right? So I would go down with her, but, but I was kind of struggling with all these thoughts. And, and one night, you know, walking outside the tents and and this beautiful clear sky the most beautiful starlit sky i'd ever seen you could see that you know the hues the purplish hues of the of the milky way and the planets pulsating and you know the millions of stars just lighting it up um and i was walking there by myself just thinking you know is this is this it right is this going to be the last sort of himalayan night that i'm going to see like this and then um and then this music started emanating from, you know, from our tents. Um, and the guys, uh, you know, Jason, who's the the artist, and Michael, the musician, they were just um, they were just blaring out this song um, called "Lost Together" by Blue Rodeo. Oh, it's yeah. this uh, you know country rock <laughs> band. <laughs> and, and, uh, and and anyway, I thought, wow, okay. So I went back in to the tent, and I, I just said, guys, like you know, you can hear this music from you know a 10 kilometer radius <laughs> and we were in this little settlement the, the locals were there probably trying to sleep or something and, and they were blaring out this song and i thought you know um 
the lyrics, the main chorus is, if we're lost, then we are lost together. And in that moment, it just kind of came together. I thought, you know what? If we're lost, that's fine. We're all lost. We're all here, though. And we're all here together. And that's really what matters. Um, if, we, if we have to go down tomorrow, if this is it, then so be it. This is farther than I've come before. Um, the important thing is just that we're here together. And um, yeah, a local actually came in, but we, that's a different story. <laughs> I love that so much because here you are in the Lost Valley and, and here there are people that live in their community. And as you say, if we're lost, we're lost together. Mm -hmm. And I almost yeah. feel like it was a foreshadowing of what was coming. Yeah, almost serendipitous, isn't it? Very serendipitous. Yeah, yeah. and and the actually it was funny because the um, there's this one old woman who came in and she just kind of came under the tent flaps, right? Uh, while we were playing, and, and just all of us came to a dead silence, like oh, and and I thought, you know, are, are did we disrupt her? Did we wake? Are we going to be in trouble here? And um, and she just kind of sat down again very weathered very uh you know you could tell that the elements had taken their toll on her and but very beautiful very kind in the eyes uh very soulful right we can talk about that but but she just kind of sat down and um and almost like gestured for us to to keep playing and i thought wow okay you know this is interesting because we're seeing their world we're kind of coming into their world um but you know maybe we're also kind of a window for her into our world right through this music and through through this gathering so it was a very special moment and and she she was she was very appreciative of our we kept playing some music uh, we, we played um or michael played leonard cohen's uh, hallelujah and we were just singing that together and she just she was taken by the whole i don't know if she'd ever heard music like that before yeah i um i'm a music person used to teach music and in, in elementary music in one of my previous lifetimes in this lifetime and um i do i just see the power of music you know it brings us together and music and nature best thing ever i yeah, think yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> i believe in kumbaya around the campfire don't hold it against me but it it does bring us together doesn't it, it it's causes. like a like a universal language isn't it yeah yeah so anyway, you were able to continue on and mm. Chantal was able to continue on. And um, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Were you able to find and climb your mountain? <laughs> well, so we, we found it. I mean, we spent two days reconnaissance um, out there and just in the, some of the most breathtaking landscapes, you know, herds of these mountain sheep, Baral, they call them, uh, hundreds of them just coming down the mountain slopes, uh, uh, you know, these glaciated, uh, uh, just canyons of, of glaciated ice, uh, just most, some of the most breathtaking things I'd ever seen. And then we found this pyramid mountain and I thought, wow. Um, but the, what, what was happening though, was on our way towards the mountain, that's where everything started falling apart. Um, so we got my two Sherpa companions and I, we got caught in a snowstorm at 17,000 feet. Uh, we were, my mule that was carrying my climbing gear took off on me. Um, so all this stuff kind of started spiraling out of control and it just sort of forced me to hunker down in that most remote outpost village in the valley, the village of Fu. Um, I, I was kind of stuck. I was brought to a halt right, right there. And, uh, and it was there that, uh, that I started connecting a lot with um, 
with the locals, but also with myself and, and kind of what that journey, what that journey was really about. Yeah. And what was the journey? About? <laughs> well, it took me a while to figure it out. You know, it was almost like I was in this Jekyll and Hyde like conversation with myself for days and, and, um, and almost part of, you know, when you, you have something so embedded in your mind that it becomes part of your identity uh, and that you feel like this is, this, this should be something that I'm doing in my life. And then it gets questioned. And so then that forces you to question your whole identity. Um, the Tibetans have a word for that, the bardo, you know, that state of transition, right? When you're, when you're coming through that state of transition, you, you have to decide, you know, how do you want to move forward? What do you want to, to let go of that perhaps no longer serves you? You know, what do you want to, to, to focus on, you know, as you move into this so-called new life? Um, so that's exactly what was happening to me in the mountains. And, um, and I remember I met this one young gentleman, um, named Sanam Dorje, and he had just come back to Fu. He was, he was from there, um, but he left the village when he was 14 to go study. He had to go, go all the way down to India to get an education, and he had just come back after seven years. Seven years, he hadn't seen his home or his parents, his family, and our paths happened to cross exactly just at that moment. And so Sanam Dorje, Dorje and I, we would end up um, uh, taking these walks together, these daily walks, and he would teach me about uh, Buddhism and about um uh, you know, the, the people, the culture, their way of life, and the plight of the, the, the people, you know, how hard it was to survive out there, and how a lot of the, you know, old or sick would just end up dying in their own homes. And the kids, you know, by the time they're five or six, they have to work in the fields, infant mortality rates were so high, you know, two out of five kids died before the age of five. Um, the girls at that time, when they were 14, 15, they'd have to start getting married, having their own families. So I was learning all these things. And it got me thinking about, uh, you know, why am I so, why am I suffering so much about this mountain when in the grand scheme of things, it actually doesn't really matter. Very good point. Very, very good point. And I, I think that kind of alludes back to something I was talking about earlier. Like we can become so focused on what we think something is about or that that is for us, mm -hmm. that we can miss something that might be greater that's going on or something else going on, which brings me to, so you didn't actually get to climb your mountain. You had an experience, a powerful one. You had a couple of extra days. Mm -hmm. And so how did you meet your karma? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, we, because I didn't climb the mountain that, that afforded us a couple extra days, as you said, to, to go to this other little village called Nar. <clears throat> and, um, and there's two main villages in this whole valley and Fu was one and, and Nar was the other. And, and so we went there and I learned when we got there, I learned that there was this little stolen school. Um, and I thought, wow. And everything I'd learned from Sanam Dorje about the education and about access to outside education was kind of coming front, you know, front and center in my mind. And I thought we should go check out this school and see what's going on there. And so we get there and um, there's this, um, there's this little girl, um, this little seven-year-old girl uh, at the front of the class uh, teaching English numbers to this group of 17 kids ranging from about three to seven years old. And, um, and she was teaching with such poise and such confidence <laughs> and such passion. And I thought, wow, this, you know, this is interesting. And why is she teaching the English numbers? I mean, Nepali script is, is totally different, right? So, um, so yeah, so that was kind of, and there was something different about her, you know, something almost familial that I could, we'd seen hundreds of kids right up into that point, but 
Chantal and I kind of felt this, you know, strange pull towards her. Um, I couldn't quite understand it. But um, but then the kids, you know, they got caught. They caught sight of Michael's uh, guitar, right? He was slung over his shoulder, and they'd never seen a guitar before, let alone heard one. And um, and we found the teacher. He was kind of looming in the back, and he he comes from a totally different part of Nepal. He had been sent to that little school there, which scratched the surface of maybe grade one. And he he told us that he had felt like he'd been banished to the end of the earth. But um, but you know, he said, yeah, you should teach them some music. You know, he thought, okay, that would be a way to pass the time, I guess. Um, so Michael gets up there and he's an entertainer and he just gets right into it. And the kids, I mean, they, they're just, they're just singing and dancing. Um, you know, you, you can imagine them, these 17 Himalayan kids, um, clothes unraveling at the sleeves kind of thing, but you know, and these massive 7,000 meter peaks behind them, just getting into this music. And it was just the most beautiful scene. Um, and then the teacher, he, I guess he got motivated. He brought out this Nepali drum and he wanted the kids to dance one at a time in front of us. And he started with this little girl, this little girl who had been teaching so confidently before um, he told her, he said, you know, you, you like dance now. Right. And, um, and you could see her, she was just kind of in the corner, um, just petrified, starting to almost internally cry. Um, and, um, and Chantal, she couldn't take it. Uh, so she marched up there right next to this little girl and started doing her best impression of this Nepali dance with her arms waving around. And, and Chantal didn't really know what she was doing, but, but the little girl um, kind of forgot about everybody watching and she started focusing all her attention on Chantal, their eyes locked. Um, and, you know, this little girl started trying to copy Chantal's improvised moves and the two of them were dancing in front of these these big peaks it was just it almost felt like time itself ceased to move for a moment yeah and and that was kind of the beginning of um of of what came next i don't know how much time we have to get into it but like um that was the spark that created the connect this deep family connection that um that that would unfold over the next nine years with car we learned her name is karma this little girl and her family and her little sister Pemba, and um, and just you know how our how our lives kind of have grown together over nine years, um, you know, and all the di- trying to deal with navigate all these different dichotomies of our world, uh, because Karma was she showed such a strong passion for for education, and um, and 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 so we thought you know how do we work with her parents in a way, and we learned from her parents that education for them uh, for their daughters in particular is the biggest blessing. That they could ever dream of and um and so we said okay how can we work together you know for parents you know we're, we became kind of kind of co-parenting right um four of us coming together to help these two little girls in the best way when these two worlds are coming together you know their tradition traditional world of their 17th century kind of little village in the mountains coming head to head with this modern sort of tornado that's moving into every area of the world as we speak you know how do we navigate all of that and 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 do it in a way where the you know karma and pemba are equipped with the tools um so that they can make choice um in their lives and at the same time not lose sight of their cultural identity their 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 roots yeah their, their, their dharma and their buddhism yeah yeah um, 
I want to tell the listening audience, you need to just get his book, A Story of Karma by Michael Shao. This is to me one of the most remarkable things. So you went to climb a pointy mountain and came mm. back as parents and <laughs> connected. Yeah. And and really, I, I encourage people to, to read it because your description of their life, how you went and met the mother and they and and the father was out, I think, yak herding or something, and mm. and they had six children and you basically uh, kind of took over uh, a lot of things with Karma and her younger sister, Pemba, who just for the listening audience to clarify, that's been a nine year journey and you actually brought them to Canada at some point um, for education. And I think that, you, that it, somewhere in your book, you, you say something about the, there's a, there's a saying over there, something about better to have a pencil in the hand than a strap around the forehead or something right yeah that, right. that's one of the things i learned from the parent from the you know there's this kind of saying in the mountains because outside education it's at, at that time i mean it is getting a little bit better now nine ten years later but at that time it was very very difficult for them to get outside education and um you know there weren't even even any books in in those parts of you know the, the valley um other than the scripture and the monasteries and and um and so you know their world view their world was kind of a 10 kilometer radius around their little mountain village. And, and so, um, yeah, so this saying I learned was the parents, I mean, a lot of the parents are not educated or they, you know, they're not educated in that way. Um, but they know that with educate, with outside education brings more choice, um, again, particularly for girls. Um, and, and so they, 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 they say, yeah, we'd rather our kids have a pencil in the hand versus a strap around the forehead because that's how they carry things up there you know with the strap around the forehead um and and i tried to carry something like that <laughs> with my, and, I, no. and i couldn't no. <laughs> yeah. so. no but you have ended up you know after that that meeting and, and becoming involved in that and realizing the lack of education you've really become advocates for that and um i think when karma was eight that you got her into a school and uh-huh and i was kind of struck with her thirst for knowledge like there was a book and she just was like gonna eat it you know yeah like, like i've got what's in this yeah. yeah that actually that's it was a clarifying point for me because we this school is in Kathmandu. it was started by a tibetan monk a high-ranking lama uh, who fled tibet in the 50s and he started this school specifically for these that he calls them the lost children of the himalaya because they're in these all these remote pockets so far out in the mountains they just get forgotten about so we got karma into that school that's a whole another story but um can, but i remember can you share real briefly because yeah oh, yeah it, it's 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 very um because that's again, crazy it, yeah it's very serendipitous <laughs> i mean we you know chantal and i we when we left the village um and we we met with the mother uh and and we all agreed okay yes education is very important for them for karma um, so Chantal and I, we went on this journey to try and find the right school. Um, and we knew that it had to be, again, like culturally aligned, even in Nepal, most of Nepal is, is Hindu, right? So in the urban centers, so whereas in the mountains, they're more Tibetan, um, in language and culture. So, so we, we, uh, we were, we spent weeks, you know, trying to search for the school. We searched in Kathmandu, couldn't find anything, came back to Canada, kept searching, couldn't find it. And, uh, and I think about a month went by. And I remember Chantal, she said, she called me in one day. She said, Mike, you know, Mike, you got to check out this school. And, and, uh, and she found that school, SMD school for Himal Himalayan children. 
And I, and I remember looking at the front page of the website and, and I'm like, oh, these kids look like just the kids there. And, and anyway, so we wrote the school director, um, the school director wrote back and she said, thank you for sharing, you know, sounds like a bright little girl, but I got to tell you that, you know, we've got 500 kids at the school, we're busting at the seams, we've got 400 kids on the wait list, we've got kids being dropped off on the stairs um, that we need to turn away. And because of all this, there's only one person who admits, who can make the decision to admit, you know, a new kid into the school. And that is this 80 plus year old um, Tibetan Lama. Um, and I, I just, you know, as I was reading this email, I just felt like, why are there so many barriers stacked against one little girl who just wants to learn? Um, but then the school director, Chantel, had included our, our email address or our address in her email signature. And, uh, and, and this, this school director said, well, but I see that you're in, you're in, in Vancouver in Canada. You know, you may be interested to know that the founder, this Tibetan Lama, is recovering from an illness right now at his monastery in a place called Richmond, which was only like 25 minute drive from our house. (laughs) What? (laughs) I love that so much. You know, you can't make this stuff up, Mike. Oh, I I know Chantal and I, we just looked at each other like, okay, I guess we're, we're going to meet this. And he wasn't even seeing anybody, but again, that's a bit of a story, but we were able to see him and, and, and sort of, connect and share with him about karma and um and he he admitted her into the school and so we went back the next year on her first day of school um we were there and and like you said we were standing Chantal and I, we were kind of standing in the in the threshold of the classroom doorway and we could see karma the teacher was still you know trying to get himself organized and and uh and this stack of books just plopped down on the desk in front of her and you could see her just trying to soak up as much information from the books as possible uh almost like that that's exactly when it dawned on me like oh my goodness you know this little girl's world has just opened up by virtue of these books um that have just been placed in front of her and and now you know somebody said to me you know thank you for helping her dream bigger right somebody from there who also had that opportunity and i thought wow you know that's that's very telling you know a lot of kids in north america I mean, yes, we have our, our, our areas here as well, um, but most of the time we still have access to libraries and, and the internet and, and commu- you know, information and that sort of thing. And kids are taught to dream big here, right? Whereas, you know, there, I don't know what Karma's dreams would have been, but um, you know, before she went to that school, but her world, again, was that 10 kilometer radius around her village. So, you know, how far can you dream when that's sort of the barrier of your, of your um, you know, your worldview? I'm, I'm thinking because, like I said during the break, I have a million questions. We're barely going to scratch the surface here because for me, one of the most poignant things here is this mixing of uh, Nepalese or, or where they came from in such a remote uh, place and ending up in Canada, right, with you <clears throat> eventually, but getting all this education and also this cross-cultural and, like you say, this expansion of worldview <clears throat> and... Um, due to time constraints we're not going to be able to go into this like I was really hoping to because it's just so juicy (laughs) um but when they came to um where you live there in in Canada um and started school Mm. right I think that you mentioned somewhere along the line that there that it was just so different like the the way the children treat each other or treat their you know can you comment on that real briefly yeah yeah for sure yeah um so this was seven years later 
um, you know, we agreed with the parents. The parents actually expressed interest in them coming to Canada for a cultural exchange. And so we, um, yeah, it took a small miracle. That's another story. But, um, but when they got here, you know, it's funny because the things that I thought would be surprising for them weren't. And the things that were surprising for them were almost things like, you know, how we, how we communicate, how, how we connect with each other, you know, particularly how kids connect with, um, with adults, for example. And Karma, you know, one of the things she said on her from coming home from school was she was quite shocked at like how some of the kids would treat or talk about the teacher, for example. Um, just again, that there's in Nepal, there's like this whole level of um, respect for elders and that sort of thing. And particularly in, in the village, um, you know, here, the way we treat elders is totally different, right? So um, yeah, so th that was one of the things, you know, how they connect, uh, how we connect with them, with each other and with, with those who are older and and uh, and there's so many nuances. I mean, I, I've got stories upon stories. Uh, maybe I'll just tell one real quick. Where I remember where um, where we were running, rushing around, and we were late for an activity or something. And um, and I remember Pemba. She just kind of put her hand on my arm, and she said, "She said, Mike, if we were to behave like this in my village, everyone would think that we were sick." <laughs> you know, I'm, just like, yeah. I'm like you know what you're right let's just slow down we can breathe you know it's gonna be fine <laughs> i love that um so talk a little bit about himalayanchildren.org yeah the school sri mangadip smd school in uh, in nepal um so this is the school that they got into um when they came down from the village and just a beautiful place 500 kids there uh, again, <clears throat> started by that Lama, um, the 80 plus year old Lama. Um, and he, um, yeah, he started this so the kids could also could get an education, but also so that they could be equipped with tools that they could then bring back to their, their villages, right? So a lot of them are doing that now. They're getting the education and then now they're able to, to help their own communities, which is, which is beautiful. I mean, it's part of that, that cycle, right? Um, so I think, I think that's the important thing, you know, when, when, when a child gets educated, you know, yes, it helps the individual, but in their case, especially it's going to help the whole, the whole community. Yeah. So we've got less than a minute. Where can people find you, find your book and one last comment real quick. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, people can visit my website, michaelshaw.com. So that's M I C H A E L S C H A U C H.com. Um, the book's available at uh, independent bookstores or on, you know, on Amazon and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I hope you enjoy the read. It's again, the book is it's an adventure story, right? And maybe it's great in this time where we can't really move around or travel as much. But um, more than that, it's a story of deep human connection is a story of love and joy and um, and beauty. And I think um, those are all things that we can perhaps use more of uh, in our world today, especially over here. Thank you. Thanks for writing this book. It was a, it, I really enjoyed reading it and I advise it to everybody. And bye-bye everybody. Blessings and love. <laughs>